We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning. I don't know how long I'm going to bounce around on these topical subjects until I get tired of them, I guess. <laughs> but we're going to talk about worry. You ever worry? For a conscientious person, worry can be a state of being. <laughs> we can be consummate worriers. We can worry about things that are ridiculous. And if I allow myself, I not only can begin to worry about me and mine, but I can begin to worry about you and yours. And you people are not mine. And I can begin to worry for you. You belong to the Lord. And sometimes I give you over to the Lord. <laughs> but worry and stress can cause us physical ailments. That's proven. Worry is simply a phobia-based lack of faith. Let me repeat that. Worry is a phobia-based lack of faith. Something will cause fear in our hearts and lives. We worry. There was one particular man who went to his doctor and he was told, you must rid yourself, you must get away from the stressful lifestyle style that you're living. Worry and stress are having serious side effects on your health. He was a businessman. And as a businessman, he had a solution. He would hire himself a personal assistant to be stressed out and worry for him. <laughs> he paid this personal worrier a ridiculous $10,000 a month. And he's relating this story to his business associates, and one of them asked him, how in the world can you afford to pay a personal worrier $10,000 a month? He said, that's his worry. <laughs> and we can worry about things that we can do nothing about. There's TV shows there's a couple of them that are very popular, Hoarders and Doomsdayers. I hoard. I, I don't like to admit that, but I do. I have tools, many tools that do the same thing. I just can't bring myself to get rid of the old one. I have farm equipment, same story. I have auto parts, sports equipment. And I have been selling off some of the stuff. And as I prepared for this sermon, I said, you're preaching to yourself this morning, Don. <laughs> yeah, many times I do and you just don't realize it. <laughs> But many times, a hoarder 
is a person that is known as a doomsdayer. One doomsdayer on that program was hoarding food supplies, guns and ammo for the Earth's, check this out, polar axis shift that he thought was coming. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Another hoarder, another doomsdayer was preparing for when martial law is declared across the country. Another was preparing when the pandemic flu virus breaks out. And the list goes on. Now, as Christians, you may not worry because you have heard that it's a sin to worry. So you're just simply overly concerned. <laughs> we play word games sometimes, don't we? So let's read what Jesus had to say about worry or being overly concerned. And notice what we read. If you've got a red-lettered Bible, it's all red letters. It's all Jesus' words. And we'll look at Luke 12, and uh, but we're going to take it in bite sizes. We're going to take a few verses at a time. Luke 12, verse 22 through 24. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse or barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus is talking to his disciples, his chosen followers. In verse 41, a little later, Peter will ask, Who are you talking to, Jesus? I'm talking to you, Peter, and then the other disciples and other followers of Christ. You never have to wonder who the Bible is talking to. The Bible is written to believers. It's not written to unbelievers, so don't ever worry about who the Bible is talking to. It's talking to you. In verse 22, we have a straightforward command by Jesus. Do not worry. Don't worry about life. Don't worry about what you eat. And don't worry about what you wear. Now, in that time, in Jesus' day, in the early church days, you were considered a wealthy person if you knew where the next few meals were coming from. You were considered wealthy. Any person of wealth in that day, or just the common person, had a little plot of ground, usually outside of the city walls, where they grew their own food. Uh, you would generally co-op with a few other friends or family and have a few sheep and you would take turns shepherding these sheep and you would do this for the wool and for the meat. Now, drought and famine always causes anybody that grows their food or raises their food, it causes you concerns. Clothing was not like we have today. You, you had to make your clothing, thus you had to have a supply of wool or cloth or some kind to make your clothing. 
and you learn to make do with what you could take care of. You made your own tunics. You made your own sandals. But you notice in Jesus' little short list here, what is interesting is what is missing. Jesus mentions food. He mentions clothing as needs of the body. But shelter is not even mentioned as a basic need. Now, we would consider shelter as a basic need. But did Jesus just forget? (laughs) Oh, Jesus, you forgot to mention shelter. Really? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knew what it was like to be homeless. Jesus, as a man... After entering his ministry, he never had a place to call home. But Jesus tells us, he says, consider the ravens, consider the blackbirds. Now, I don't know if you've been out in the country during the fall of the year around here, but there can be a lot of blackbirds or ravens. There can be so many that they look like a black cloud that moves. There's thousands upon thousands of them. And they rely totally upon God's provision to be fed. And here's what Jesus had to say. You are more value than the blackbirds. Now, I have to make a comment about value here. Many believers, many people reason that Jesus went to the cross because he considered us so valuable. I don't agree with that. How about God's love compelling him to go to the cross? How about God loving us? And there is a gigantic difference between value and love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We never read about us being such a valuable treasure that Christ died for us. You will not find that in scripture. He loved us. It is a constant theme of scripture, God's love towards us. But concerning value, we are more valuable than the birds. So that's good to know. But we're also told that two were sold for a penny when it talks about sparrows. So we're not of much value. (laughs) Let's move along before I get in more trouble. Luke uh, 12, 25 through 30. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? If then you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God, if then God so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you would eat or what you should drink. 
nor have be of an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. Here is what worry cannot do. It cannot make you grow taller. Not even a cubit. Now that was 18 inches. 18 inches is quite a bit of growth, by the way. And Jesus says, you cannot even make yourself grow 18 inches which is a small thing. Now, I'm not real coordinated, all right? But if you added a foot and a half to my height, I would have played in the NBA. Because you could dunk flat-footed. You wouldn't even have to jump. That's 18 inches. And then Jesus says, look at the lilies. Look at a flower in a field, and look at how beautiful they are. And then he compares it to Solomon. Solomon, the most glorious king, the most rich man that ever lived. Excuse me. He had beautiful clothes. His robes were gorgeous. He had colorful garments. He had golden crowns. But he was never as beautiful as a single growing flower. And then verse 28, And God clothes the fields with green, thick grass, and how much more will he clothe you and I, you and I, of little faith? But Jesus goes on, and he says, All the world seeks after these things. After food, after drink, after clothing. But then he says, you, my disciples, I want you to understand. I don't want you to be worried about those things. Because he says, your heavenly father knows you need them. And he will give them to you. And now Jesus gives us the remedy in verses 31 through 34. Luke 12, 31 through 34. Jesus says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. How true. In verse 31, we have, But therefore, however, seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Did not Jesus just simplify the Christian faith right there? Seek me, and I'll give you all the other things you need. We are to have a childlike faith before our Lord. We are to know our Heavenly Father, know that He will take care of us. 
Have you ever seen a small child that was worried about mom and dad's income? I have a granddaughter, Julia. She's around five, and she's captured with what time of day it is now. She will ask her dad, what time is it, dad? Like, what, have you got an important meeting or something? (laughs) And my son, not to be outdone by his children, he'll go Wednesday. (laughs) He understands her concept of time doesn't matter anyway. So he just answers her with a day. (laughs) But what if a child were to say to You as a father, Dad, I want you to go in and ask for a raise today because we're not quite able to make it on the income that we're trying to live on right now. That doesn't happen. A child is not worried for a moment about the family income, the family finances. Unless you're perhaps telling that child, we can't afford to get you that toy, so quit asking. I tried to be real with my children. I'm not about to buy you that piece of junk. (laughs) Made me a bad guy, I guess, but... (laughs) A child trusts their parents to provide for them. God wants us to trust Him to provide for us. And if, as a believer, I seek the kingdom of God and truly make God's kingdom my priority... I can enjoy the rich benefits of His kingdom because it's His pleasure to give me the kingdom. Sometimes I think we miss that. It is our Heavenly Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. How often we want to think, oops, God's forgot me. I'm the one guy that fell through the cracks. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm going through. No, no. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. But here's what worry will do. It will deny you God's kingdom. Worry will. Worry forgets God's promises. Worry stifles faith. Faith and worry cannot coexist. You will either be drawn to the one and reject the other. And then Jesus, he's about to give us a life-changing scenario coming up here. He sets a condition and then he says, here's what your response should be. He says, be obedient and I will give you a reward. Seek and then you will receive. So in verse 33, we have a command, a word of advice by Jesus directed towards what causes us worry. And it's simple. Sell what you have. Yow! Give alms and offerings. Offerings given to God's kingdom become treasures in heaven. And he says, there's no thief. 
there. No moth that can destroy the treasures that you have in heaven. Treasures that will not fail. In years gone by in the ancient Far East, if the king liked you, he would give you one elephant. If he disliked you, he would give you two. One elephant, a great blessing. It's like owning a John Deere tractor. You know, you could do all kind of farming with it. You could use it to uh, just in every form of life or as construction, farming, or whatever. Two elephants became a great burden to feed and care for. And you had to care for that second elephant because it was a gift from the king. You couldn't just sell it or get rid of it because you didn't dare do that to a gift from the king. So the second elephant, if the king disliked you, the second elephant made you a virtual slave to that animal. The same scenario with possessions. A few years back, we had a severe economic downturn here in America. We called it a recession. What's the difference between a recession and depression? Length of time, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, many people lost their retirement funds. Houses were losing their value in some parts of the country at an alarming rate. I had a man who came to me right after the great downturn, and this man had been a very generous giver. He was now. And he lived a simplistic life to be a generous giver. And he lost a lot of money when the economy went into the tank. And he said to me, when I think about the money I lost, and then I realized I could have given that money to God, had treasures in heaven, it makes me extremely sad. He says, I missed a great opportunity to be a giver. And he said, my selfishness robbed me of treasures. And this man was a giver. It wasn't like he was uh, not a giver. Now, we have seen hurricanes. We've seen tornadoes. We've seen economic downturns. And these should be a wake-up call to us. Last year's tornadoes, just about this time of year, they were an awakening for a lot of us. They were for me. To see so many houses and automobiles become nothing more than a pile of rubbish, we saw complete homes become nothing more than a trash heap. And, of course, the Magahas suffered through their, their loss. And we would go up there as a church family and we would help them sift through all the debris and search through all the splintered wood and piles of broken walls, furnitures, and all these things, and list, looking for a few keepsakes. Lisa had lost her purse. And so we searched through this house just looking for her purse. 
And then you would see many of these destroyed homes and they would be pushed together and burnt just to get the copper wiring out of a house. And time and time again, you would hear the comment, this makes me consider what is truly valuable. Well, have we remembered what is truly valuable? Most of us, self-included, think if I were to have a rich uncle die and leave me a fortune, I could handle it. I'm not sure you could, but I could. And that's the way we think. Jesus, he doesn't buy into that for a moment. Not for a second. Listen to his words. Sell what you have. Get rid of the excess. Free yourself of anything that distracts you from laying up treasures in heaven. That is a radical command by our Lord. It is a radical command to any Christian in America who sees all around them people obsessed with possessions. You're considered radical if you live frugal. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? We read about it. It was our scripture reading. He wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. He went away from Jesus sad. Why? Jesus gave him the same command. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and you come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Why would Jesus ask that of someone? He doesn't need our money. <laughs> God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our tithes or our offerings. But he does fully understand that possessions can own us. And they do hinder us from laying up treasures in heaven. And they definitely cause worry. Possessions. Now we can worry about jobs. We can worry about mortgage payments and possessions. And Jesus says, Sell what you have. Give alms. Lay up treasures in heaven. And I'll, I'll give you blessings. Now, I know some of you, and you're trying to downsize the way you live. You've seen the light. Stay the course. Stay with it. Downsize. That is good. Simplify your life. Lay up those treasures. And I want to read one more passage, so jump over to verse 47 and 8. And these are very strong words, but they're not my words, so I don't apologize for them. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with, few, with many stripes. 
But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. And here it is. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Now I fully understand that when you teach on the subject of giving, and when you teach on it being a remedy for worry, that some people are not going to hear you. I know this. <laughs> and you're going to have those that will turn a deaf ear to you. And they just sum it up, ah, oh, that preacher begging for money. I don't need your money either, by the way. But 40, verse 47 speaks of that servant who will not do according to God's commands. That Christian who only gives God lip service and doesn't give him obedience. To that person, God's word is very clear. And there's a warning in verse 48. Don't miss the warning. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. It isn't only talking about money here. Jesus isn't only talking about possessions. Some of us in this room are in the best financial situation we've ever been in our lives. But does that translate into us laying up treasures in heaven? It can and it should. Some of us need to consider what we're doing with our income. For much has been given to many of us, and by the world's standard, we are very rich, period. I close each and every Sunday morning service by asking God to bless you people. I too want God's blessings, and I do want Him to bless you. But let's be honest with this verse. Let's be honest with God's Word. If you've been given much, and most of us have, God says, I'm going to require much. Point blank, and he makes no apology. A requirement is simply a demand that must be met. Job, you know the book of Job. Job had argued with his accusers. He had begun to take the stance that he was being dealt a bad hand by a righteous God and that God wasn't being fair to him. And this develops around chapter 40 of Job. And then God had something to say to Job in chapter 40, verse 7. And from a whirlwind, God asks, Job, he says, now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you. 
here comes the requirement. And you shall answer me. You can't claim ignorance. You can't claim silence. You will answer me, Job. God had had enough with Job in his self-justification. Job, I'm going to ask you some questions, and you will answer me. Job, of course, is repentant. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. But he still had to answer God. Now, I do not know what anybody gives here at Calvary Chapel. I have stayed willfully ignorant of who gives what. That is a great blessing because it allows me to stand up here and teach like I'm teaching right now and not worry about, hey, if I'm offending you, I'm offending you, so what? But anyway, (laughs) but I do know this, folks, and this is a State of the Union type statement. Our giving as a fellowship is going down. It is. I look at the numbers. I see the numbers. We're growing in numbers. We're giving less. That's sort of sad. Some of you need to look at your giving in response to God's blessings. What is God requiring of you? I cannot answer that. I cannot answer that. That is between you and God. But in a, just a few verses earlier in Luke, same chapter, chapter 12, there was a rich man. He tore down his barns and he built larger ones for his goods, for his many goods. And then he said to himself, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be? That is so sobering. Jesus talking about riches. And if you have them, what he requires of you. And to whom much has been committed, now we're taking, going away from money, and we're talking about gifts of the Spirit, we're talking about talents and abilities. He says, to whom much has been committed, much is required. Do you have the gift of teaching? Well, I do, because I'm standing up here. <laughs> but I cannot teach a child. It's pitiful how I get in front of a child. I'm I'm dead serious. Some of you can teach children. And you should be teaching children. Should be asking, can you volunteer? Can I go teach a class? Can I help out? Some of you have musical abilities. It's not only our worship team that have musical abilities. What are you doing with those abilities? Some of you simply have the gift of helps, and you don't have to be extremely gifted to just be a helper. You need to find a place to serve. Each and every believer is gifted, has talents, 
and you need to find a way to express those to glorify your God. Now, I've been a little hard on you this morning, but it's God's Word. It's not my words. God requires that we live according to His words. And so I make no apologies for His Word. And we need to be doers, not hearers only. And if you want God's kingdom, and who doesn't, you need to store up treasures here on earth. Let me get you to stand and close in prayer.